Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The president's words absolutely matter, but what he does next will matter much more than what he said today. Our thanks to Anderson Cooper. As always, I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. 13 U.S. troops, mostly Marines, killed today in the worst loss of American life in 10 years in Afghanistan. Remember them. Imagine being their families. If you know any of them, help them. If any of them are watching right now, please know we all owe you for what you and your loved ones gave for the rest of us. And know this, you are not part of the problem that surrounds this situation. You are the one aspect that all can agree on and appreciate as part of the solution, not the problem. So think of our men and women who are still there, valiantly carrying on in a horrible situation. Here is what the President of the United States said about this shameful tragedy. These American service members who gave their lives, it's an overused word, but it's totally appropriate here, we're heroes. The lives we lost today were lives given in the service of liberty, the service of security, and the service of others. To those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this, we will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. We will not be deterred by terrorists. We will not let them stop our mission. We will continue the evacuation. But how will it be changed to reduce the risk that this happens again? Now, not since a chopper crash in 2011 have we seen death on this scale of our own. 13 dead, 18 others injured, some very badly. 60 Afghans may have been killed. More than 100 Afghans injured as well. We don't know the real numbers because we don't control the area. And no, what happened today was not inevitable. The chaos was not inevitable. This did not have to go this way and only this way. For instance, why were we using soldiers, Marines, to form a human barrier at this gate? This clearly was not a smart move. Will it be changed now? And if you want to assess this in terms of blame, there is plenty to go around. Biden has not played his hand well, but he got the cards from Trump and they were bad cards. It was a bad hand. So enough with the blame game. None of you have high ground. The idea that if the other is worse, you are first has to end because it makes nothing better. Look at the instant circumstance. What has been improved by any of the drama and the coverage of the same. I challenge those so invested in saying who's wrong to apply their genius to helping figure out better ways to get Americans and allies out of there. And I want you to see what over there is. Yes, the images you are about to see are disturbing, 
but better to watch them at home than to be living it moment by moment. This is what ISIS-K did to those desperate to leave. This is where Americans now more than were there because more was sent in, thousands more, crammed into that tight area. This is what happened hours after our embassy warned Americans to leave the airport area immediately. The Pentagon says ISIS gunmen also opened fire on civilians and military forces. And according to the president, their leadership should expect our response. Will the threat of being bombed wherever they're from in Khorasan stop more suicide bombings? These are people who are willing to die to send a message. Will Biden's words bring comfort to any of you here at home? He said he would send more forces to Afghanistan for the mission if needed. Is that what we need to add to the 5,000 now crammed in there? Military leaders have indicated to him they want to continue for now as designed, completely as designed. You're not going to change like having your men and women form human barriers that are the precise point where someone can blow themselves up. Now, does that mean finish the job by Tuesday or ignore what really is an arbitrary deadline? Remember, where did August 31st came from? come from? The Biden administration, where they had started at by September 11th, and Trump had said May 1st, and then Biden extended that, then moved it back. It's all arbitrary. And it leaves us with a very simple premise. There can be no end point if Americans or allies are left to die. Can there be? Does not today prove the urgency? Does not today prove that the Taliban isn't in control of anything? They can't be trusted as a partner. The Pentagon approximates around 1,000 Americans may still remain. Who knows how many thousands remain that helped us? They don't know the numbers. Will stories of them being rooted out and tortured and killed if left behind, will that hurt less than today? Will it make it more acceptable as an outcome? And how likely is another suicide attack? This was threatened and then executed. What has been done to make it any less likely of happening again? Let's get to the latest on the ground with our Sam Kiley. Now, he's in Doha, Qatar. And live on the ground in Kabul is Najibullah Qureshi, an Afghan investigator uh, investigative reporter. Najibullah, Sam, thank you very much. Uh, Najibullah, let me start with you. Uh, in terms of what you know about the situation around the airport since the attacks, has it changed? Well, it has been very quiet now after the first attack and the second, third, fourth and fifth. Obviously, the fifth one was blamed by, by American with the Taliban. The spokesman just posted his position saying this was something American doing inside the airport. But at the moment, the city is quiet. The people who are around the airport, they try to escape somewhere safe. So at the moment, is everything is calm and quiet. All right. And uh, what our understanding is, just for you at home, two attacks and then three controlled explosions. So different category of behavior. Um, Sam, in terms of things being done differently because of these attacks, as we were pointing out earlier, a video I've seen you speaking about that it was U.S. troops creating a human wall in front of people trying to get in. Any word that that's going to be changed to make things safer? 
Well, the, the, what they were actually doing was searching people. They were out beyond the gates, effectively, searching people before they came in as the first line of security screening for a process that then would mean that they would go on and get uh, screened as to who they are, with the assumption being that they were not carrying any weapons at all. It's very difficult to see how that could be done if, uh, as was in the past, the Afghan special forces are no longer there. Uh, Chris, I've seen them being withdrawn. I've seen some of them when I was evacuated yesterday. Some of them were on flights uh, around about the same time waiting to be processed themselves, many of them still in uniform at Doha Airport, uh, at the military, at Al-Udaid Airport, rather, on the U.S. base there. So they were the people who were doing that initial screening. So they would have been the people who would have died in this explosion alongside so many of their fellow Afghans. But because they've clearly been withdrawn, it was U.S. Marines doing this. This is a process that has gone on at the other gates sporadically. I have to say I'm personally surprised that they were in that environment, out in front of the gate, so soon after the threat warning had gone out from the United States, United Kingdom, Australia and others telling their people to get back precisely because there was detailed knowledge of an active, ongoing plot to attack uh, Afghans and, uh, and the gates in these very, very mm. dense crowds. And the, the, the location that they picked was the densest of the dense crowds and the most contained because it was a long line of blast walls that lead to this crossing point. So the point of extreme vulnerability, Chris, but also a point of, of a, a extraordinary a goodwill from the United States in stepping forward those you know, men and women, pre presumably women to, with them, who were out there searching people uh, before they could come in and right. get evacuated. There's no other way of doing it, really. Uh, Najibullah, is there any more word about concerns about more attacks? Well, there are actually, we were alert some, some three, four days ago, and that's why I raised this question from uh, the Taliban spokesman, which I, which I met him yesterday and the day before yesterday. I brought the subject up. I said, there are some reports that, that ISIS is inside the Taliban. They have melted and they could have do something. He said, no, the situation is under the control. Anything could be, not, nothing could be happened. So the reality is, according to the sources I have around Afghanistan, they are inside. That, that the ISIS is inside, they are the same, they look same, similar, and it, it's really, really hard for anyone to verify them. It could be more attacks in the next coming days. Hmm. And how are people now uh, under Taliban control and understanding what you're saying, which is that the ISIS-K may be in and among them? How much anxiety is there among the people who fear they're going to be left behind and left to them, Naj? Well, the reality is the public don't know what we know, basically. The public are just listening what the spokesman or what the, tali, the Taliban is telling them. But the, the, in Kabul, there is life. There is a little bit proud people going here there. They are okay. But if you go, for instance, to another provinces, like a friend of mine came from Mazari Sharif today. He told me the city is like a dead city. Nobody's on the road. Nobody's in the street. Very quiet. Everybody's afraid. Either the people flee the city or, or they, they, they came to Kabul, but the entire city, you cannot find few people. There is no more vehicle. So this is, it belongs to all the cities. I mean, all the cities are, are very quiet. 
Kabul is a little bit crowded, mainly because of these people, they wanted to go wherever they wanted to go, either to US or Europe, and uh, trying to leave the country as soon as possible. Right. All the hotels, for example, the hotels I'm in, it's fully packed, packed of children, women. They all escaped from that incident from the airport and trying to find some safe places. So the situation in Kabul, I think, from today on, because it, it's still early morning, is going to be quiet again. I'm sure people don't want to be out of their house. They want to be in as, as much as they can. So at the moment, I cannot say anything until they lie. One way or the other, uh, the threat of the attack or the attack itself only makes the mission harder. Uh, Sam uh, Najibullah, I know it's very early in the morning there. Thank you for being up. Stay safe, you and your teams, and thank you. Uh, I want you to make sure to catch uh, Najibullah's documentary that airs October 12th for Frontline on PBS. It's going to cover everything happening on the ground in Afghanistan. And again, what we're hearing here that, you know, the Taliban, oh, they hate ISIS. They're going to hate ISIS-K. It's not what he just said, and it's not what other reports are on the ground. And there's an understanding that the ISIS-K guys used to be Pakistani Taliban guys. So are they really enemies? Did they really do things to stop today or did they do nothing? He doesn't trust the Taliban. But even now, our president is echoing that and saying the jam we're in is that we do have to rely on the Taliban somewhat. Is that a tenable position? A member of the Trump era team that negotiated the Taliban deal is back tonight. Will our shaky alliance hold to get payback for this attack? Or is that just tough talk? Next. It was just days ago that the president issued this dire warning. We made clear to the Taliban that any attack, any attack on our forces or disruption of our operations at the airport, will be met with swift and forceful response. Now Biden finds himself in a position to carry out that vow of retaliation. But oddly enough, in this moment, it's not the Taliban that's our target. It's the Taliban's sworn enemy, ISIS-K. Why do I put it in quotes? Because I don't know that we know that. Lisa Curtis, who helped facilitate Trump's Taliban deal, uh, joins me now. Uh, It is good to have you. The idea that ISIS-K is the sworn enemy of the Taliban, and then we hear from a reporter on the ground uh, that ISIS-K members may be insinuated into the Taliban and that it is not as much of an inimical situation as suggested. What do you think? Well, I think ISIS-K and the Taliban are opposed to one another. We know that. Uh, ISIS-K is a a breakaway from uh, al-Qaeda, uh, and in about 2015, they came on the scene in Afghanistan. Uh, when we talk about the K, it's Khorasan, Khorasan province, which actually is an Islamist reference to the region, to Afghanistan, Iran, Pakistan. Uh, but they, when they came on the scene in 2015, they set up shop in Kunar province in eastern Afghanistan. Now, U.S. and Afghan forces were able to beat back that base in eastern Afghanistan. However, ISIS-K remained very capable in Kabul, and they've conducted numerous attacks against, in particular, the Hazara Shia minority in Afghanistan. So they certainly uh, have different goals than the Taliban, and they are opposed to each other. Now, that's not to say that ISIS-K might draw from 
uh, Taliban or Haqqani network um, elements. And so explain to people what the Haqqani network is, because many people think that they are the biggest concern in the region. Uh, they are. The Haqqani network is essentially part of the Taliban, yet has its own separate base. Uh, it, they were very established in eastern Afghanistan going back into the 1980s. Uh, and when the Taliban took power in 1994, uh, Jalaluddin Haqqani was actually the tribal affairs minister in the Taliban government and basically controlled the eastern part of Afghanistan. So they've always worked hand in glove. Um, it's kind of like a, a, a distinction without a difference mm -hmm. when you talk about the Haqqani network of the Taliban. But the Haqqani network is, is a very capable terrorist organization. They're responsible for some of the worst terrorist attacks in Afghanistan uh, over the last several years. So again, there, there could be uh, sharing of networks of uh, suicide bombers, uh, trainers, financial networks uh, that get all mixed up between ISIS-K, Haqqani Network and Taliban. Do, is there any reason to believe that the Taliban can control and create a safer situation than what we saw in the last 24 hours? Uh, no, I, I don't think that we uh, should ever think that the Taliban can uh, secure the country um, that, that is, is not going to happen. And I think they, at this particular moment, I think the president was right when he says it's in their interest, uh, for the U S to be able to, um, safely evacuate, um, to, they're trying to demonstrate they've, they've just come to power. They're trying to show their best face to the, to the world, to the international community. They want access to financing. They want diplomatic recognition. So the leadership is trying to put on this good face for the world. So it probably is in their interest that um, attacks like this would not happen. Mm. Uh, but we, we cannot, you know, trust them. They don't have the capability. Uh, they don't have the discipline in their ranks to be able to pr prevent this kind of attack. So no, I don't think we should be uh, feeling any, any safer moving forward. And it's, it's just a terrible day for the United States. But I do think that the president gave very strong and resolute remarks and made clear that we're not going to allow the terrorists to intimidate us. The U.S. will remain committed to uh, getting American citizens out, getting our Afghan allies out, and we'll continue the mission. Um, Lisa Curtis, thank you very much. Appreciate you. Two U.S. lawmakers are catching a lot of flack. Is it fair? They made an unauthorized trip to Kabul. They're both veterans. Uh, they both know the, ta the, the terrain. They both know the country. They both have contacts there. And they went there, they said, in their position for oversight over the executive. One of them is with us tonight, Congressman Seth Moulton of Massachusetts. What does he think about the criticism? What does he think about the state of play there? Does he believe that these attacks are going to be repeated? Next. While U.S. forces are racing to get as many people out of Afghanistan as possible, earlier this week, two U.S. congressmen insisted on getting in. Democratic Congressman Seth Moulton and his GOP colleague uh, Peter Meyer uh, made a surprise trip to Kabul on Tuesday, uh, stunned some leaders in Washington, but also 
reportedly military leaders on the ground who've been focused on evacuation efforts. How did they justify the time and the attention? What did they learn when they were there that made it worthwhile? Congressman Seth Moulton, again, a veteran, uh, did multiple tours in Iraq, joins me now. Thank you for doing so. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. Uh, first, let's deal with the we, then we'll get to the me. Uh, in terms of what you saw on the ground and in light of these attacks, what you believe the future holds, what's your assessment? Well, Chris, let me just speak for a second at what these amazing Marines Sailors, soldiers, airmen were doing when they were killed. I was at Abbey Gate where the, the attack occurred, and they were given a truly Herculean task. It's, it's, it is the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen in my life. Over four tours in Iraq, I never saw anything like this. Marines out there sifting through this literal sea of humanity, trying to pluck out our allies who trusted us to, to get them out of this mess with their, their families, their wives, their husbands, their sons, their, their daughters that reminded me of my own. And it wasn't what I expected. It wasn't a gate with Marines on one side and Afghans on another because they couldn't find them that way. So the Marines had to go forward of our lines, out yards from the Taliban with their horse whips to find, to find our people and to give them a ticket to freedom. So they were putting themselves at tremendous risk and saving thousands, thousands of lives in the process. It, it, it was, it was actually, it was absolutely extraordinary. And I've seen a lot, Chris, I've been through a lot. I've never been more proud to be an American than I was that day at Abbey Gate, seeing what these Marines were doing for us, for our values, for upholding what America stands for, for these Afghans trying to get to freedom. So everybody needs to know that these Marines and sailors died as absolute heroes. And their legacy will be the thousands of Afghans, little girls and little boys, who are alive today because these U.S. Marines put their lives on the line for them. What is the hardest thing for you emotionally in knowing that while these Marines were willing to do it, that they were put in that position despite the threat? It's thinking that as a member of Congress, I didn't do enough, that we didn't fulfill our role to make sure stuff like this doesn't happen. When I was on the ground in Iraq, I felt abandoned by our Congress because I saw countless decisions made by people in Washington who had no idea what it was like on the ground had no idea what positions we were being put in as Marine infantrymen. No idea the sacrifices that we were being asked to make because they didn't know what was going on. And I vowed that I would not be a member of Congress who left our troops behind. Do you think that we have to adjust now and that you can't have Marines out there in front of the lines so vulnerable to more suicide attacks? Because there's no reason to believe that the same agents of this kind of uh, evil can't do more of this. You know, one of the most amazing things about these Marines is they want to go out there again because they know how important this mission is, because they see in the eyes of these Afghans the lives that they are, they are saving from certain death. So they want to keep doing it. But what we have to come to terms with as a country is that we're not going to get everybody out. With the timeline we have, we are not going to get everybody out. That's one of the most important things that I learned on the ground. But that why I do we have understand. a timeline? 
Well, look, Chris, I'm not going to go into the history here. I think you've done no, a good job. No, but I'm saying why should we have one at all? Now that you've been there and the military leaders tell you the same thing there, that they're not going to be done by the 31st, why should the 31st be a real end date? Well, that's exactly what I thought before I went over there. But what I heard from the commanders on the ground is that because even if we delayed till September 11th, which was the original agreement, we're not going to get everybody out in time. And so we have to have a productive relationship with the Taliban going forward, as bizarre as that sounds. We have to have a productive relationship with the Taliban going forward if we have any chance of getting the thousands that we leave behind when we do go out in the future. And the only way we can do that is if we abide by the agreement that's been negotiated at this point, which is to leave on August, August 31st. It's, it's heartbreaking, but that's the position that we've been in, and that's the position that people in Washington have put our troops in. So the, some of the people on the committee that you're on and Nancy Pelosi are miffed that you went over there, you didn't tell anybody. Uh, you say we weren't there to grandstand, nobody knew we were there until we left. Uh, the pushback is, yeah, but then the military on the ground had to protect you guys, and um, that was uh, reckless of you. What do you make of the criticism that you shouldn't have been there? Look, I mean, people, I don't care what people are saying in Washington. What I care about is saving lives. I care about doing my job by the Marines and soldiers and sailors and airmen out there on the ground and by the Afghans that we're trying to save. But did you learn Last anything week. by going there that you didn't know already? Absolutely. I just went through how I learned where we have to go going forward. My, my opinion on the, on the 31st was totally changed by my time there. I learned that all the work that my colleagues and I have been doing in Congress where we think that we're helping these troops by sending names forward, even though we can't get answers, that's actually what's distracting them from the mission because there's no system in place to handle these thousands upon thousands of requests from individuals all over America through congressional office to get Afghan friends that they know. And that, was, that had been my experience. You know, the last week, Chris, I stayed up all night one night just trying to get four small families out. And I was sending hundreds and hundreds of text messages between the Afghans and troops I happen to know on the ground, between their friends and advocates in America, just trying to get them to the right place to, to hang on. I know your kids are, are practically dying of dehydration, but please stay, stay a little bit longer because someone really wants to come and help you. And at the end of the night, I'd gotten one, one out of the four families out. But when I saw a picture of them on the base and I saw it was this heroic Afghan journalist, his, his wife and two, two little girls, just about the same age as mine, I knew it was worth it. And if I could get on a plane to figure out how to save a few more families, then I'm sorry, Chris, I'm going to do that. Congressman, I appreciate you coming on in the candor about what you saw on the ground uh, and what you think of the politics surrounding it uh, and your recognition of what you believe uh, is a realistic end in this mission. Uh, I appreciate you taking the opportunity. Thanks, Chris. All right, let's turn to another veteran. Uh, how does the military community feel about staying or leaving in Afghanistan and how it's being done, especially in light of these attacks? Uh, this is a man who served this country, who's constantly in contact, who's part of monitoring what has become a digital Dunkirk of veterans like him trying to help get people out and being very frustrated with the results. Next. The president today striking a somber tone, 
a moment of silence honoring our heroes killed in Kabul, the reality of which reminds Americans of the sacrifice our troops and their families make every single day. We all know the expression. They have to live it. War is old men talking and young men dying. Let's check in with a friend to this show and to me personally, the founder of the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, veteran Paul Rykoff. Uh, PJ, uh, what did today mean to you about the reality of this situation? I think it brought it all home for the people who weren't really paying attention. I feel like today was a day where I heard from more civilian friends, from people who don't normally watch the news, who maybe were on vacation for the last couple of weeks. You know, our community has been furious. Um, it's been heartbreaking. It's been agonizing. Today was a gut punch. It was really shattering for many people. And I think it's one of the most dark and, and tragic days for the modern military that I can remember um, because we were watching it unfold. It felt like we could feel it coming and we dreaded that it could come. And today it came. And I just want to echo what you know my friend Seth said. You know, this is about those families right now and about those heroes. And if we're looking for a way to rally as a country, we need to rally around those Marines and that corpsman and their families and our Afghan friends. And we've also got to continue to demand accountability from government. That's got to be a part of this. So, you know, this is a very, very tragic day. And I hope we can find a way to rally around those families and force our president, especially to find the best path forward out of this mess. What has to change? Look, you know, I, I think the president has, has got to have a plan. I mean, I think a lot of people are asking him, what the hell are you doing right now? It seems like he's talking out both sides of his mouth. We're, we're out. We're in. We might extend beyond the August 31st deadline. We might not. I think, number one, we got to ensure that every one of our service members is safe. The question is not their integrity or their heroism or whether or not they're up to the task. The question is always the president, whether it's Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Barack Obama or George Bush. And too often the politicians fail. The politicians put us in untenable, dangerous situations and leave us there. So the question now is, how long is this going to go on? Right. How are you going to keep our people safe? And also the, the thing you keep hearing, how are you going to get our people out? I disagree with Seth. We need to stay there till they're out. Get all our allies out because that message cascades far beyond Afghanistan. And that's what you're hearing in a chorus of bipartisan veterans, military families and, and folks on active duty who can't talk in public. But look, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, but if we were worried about whether or not we can keep our troops safe, we wouldn't go into any of these situations. Uh, and we haven't even heard yet whether or not they're going to stop this protocol of having Marines. Look, I get, you know, I get I, I get Marines and I get how brave they are and I get how servicemen and women want to do the job no matter how dangerous. That's why you guys are the best of us. But that doesn't mean you should be put in that position. And certainly we yeah, shouldn't it. see any more that's footage it. of service members in the crowd with no protection where a suicide bomber can basically walk up and give him a hug because we have no guarantee it's not going to happen again. But Congressman Moulton's point, PJ, to respond to is this. You have to get out. You need a deadline and then just try to make a deal um, with these bad guys, the Taliban, to allow some type of productive continued exit because you'll never get people out and you'll keep getting your guys and women hit by suicide bombers and other threats there the longer you stay. Look, I think there's, there's a false choice here. We've got to either get out right now or, or throw our people into increased danger you know, exponentially. 
I mean, anybody who watched its footage over the last couple of weeks knew that our Marines and, and, and service members were exposed. This was a, a terrible soft target. We had been warning you know, folks in government about this for a long time. Sometimes our president's got to save our military from themselves. They're going to be brave. They're going to do anything you ask them to do. But we've got to ask President Biden, was this the right situation to put them in? Was that a risk level that you're accepting and that we should accept? I don't think that was clearly laid out for the American people until today. Now there are going to be hard questions. Now there's increased pressure. And I hope there's more candor because they can't spin how many babies were born on a plane anymore, how many got out today. Now they've got to address how many Marines have died and how many of our friends will die if we pull out and when. The problem for them is if they had an easy, good answer, we would have heard it already. But P.J. Rykoff, Righteous Media, uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate your service, and I appreciate your clear eyes on the situation. I know you're working with all these other veterans. I refer to the digital Dunkirk. If you go online and you use that hashtag, you'll see the network of concerned veterans that are trying to get people out. It is just a frustratingly and desperate situation. Be well, brother, and thank you. Thank you, Chris. All right. Ahead, we're going to turn to someone who is proof of this desperation and frustration. I introduced you to Ishmael. He decided to take upon it himself, himself to leave his family to try to go to Afghanistan. He couldn't get there. So now he's back in Seattle, desperately working with a group of friends that he's brought together, trying to get people out. And these bombings scared the hell out of him because his family was waiting in line. Where are they tonight? What does it mean for getting out? Next. Amid the chaos, followed by a deadly terror attack, President Biden is maintaining that the U.S. will get our allies, as well as all Americans, out of Afghanistan. As you can see in this video, even after the attack, Afghans packed the airport desperate to get out. They're all being forced into basically a single checkpoint. This wasn't a smart way to do it. It's probably not the best way to do it. But the question is now, is it the only way to do it? Our next guest spent six years alongside U.S. troops as a translator. He got out. His family is not. They were waiting at that choke point for days in the hot sun. And then Ishmael heard about the bombings and he couldn't reach them. And he had to track them down. And he was terrified. You may remember his face because we've had him on. Let's bring him up right now. And Ishmael wants to show us what he's been doing out of his apartment. He's conscripted his own friends uh, to help make phone calls and try and push paperwork and deal with the bureaucracy that is the biggest obstacle. Uh, Ish, it's good to see you. I'm, basically, um, I have mixed feelings about you not making it to Afghanistan. I know you wanted to be there. I know you wanted to be with your family. Um, but I was worried about you. So show us what you're doing there, and then let's talk about what the challenges are. Uh, Thank you, Chris, for having me. Uh, You can see my friends behind me. uh, It's basically I turned my house to a command center that we have been talking to a lot of folks in Afghanistan, getting the data, all the information that we uh, get, and we put it in an Excel sheet that I got from Senator Perry Murray that her team sent it out to me. Uh, we have been doing that for the last two weeks. We have been uh, sending it to State Department. We have been sending it to uh, Senator Perry Murray now. And I'm kind of stuck in, in a place that I do not know where the those forum goes and who is making plans, who are executing, and when those people are going to get out. I right. do not hear anything back. All right. So we'll check. You're saying Senator Patty Murray, right? That's who you've been yes. dealing with? All right. So let's just uh, clarify this a little bit for people. 
So, Ish, you have been taking forms that they gave you and connecting with people who want to get out in Afghanistan, whom you believe um, are qualified for the SIV and getting their information and then putting in the forms. So then there are two problems. One, where do those forms go? And two, how do the people, even if they qualify, even if the forms are going somewhere and they're being accepted and approved, how do those people show that and get to where they have to be so they can get out? Exactly. And this, this, those are the challenges that I've been pass, uh, facing and, and trying to find out like, hey, where are these forums going? Who is executive? Like, is there any plan when those people are going to get out? Is there a safe zone that they go? I was shepherding with task force uh, Pineapple who are volunteers working on the ground in Afghanistan. I was shepherding four families, including mine, to get to their airport for 48 hours. Those people with kids, they they finally made it to that gate and suddenly I got the, the report that there is a bomb threat. Everyone needed to, to, to get out of there. And it was a, a sad situation that I lost comms with most of the families on the ground and I couldn't get to them for about two hours. I, I've been up for the last 48 hours. Most of those, those kids who were out there for two days to make, were hoping to make it to the inside the wire. Most of them are in the hospital, dehydrated and, 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 and struggling, and they, they couldn't make it. Have you been able to help anybody get through the barrier yet? Uh, there were, uh, so task force was uh, able to take out 500 people inside the wire last night. So it is a huge success for them, but uh, most of the people are still left behind and we are, we are trying everything that we can to push families in. Where's your family now and what are their prospects? Uh, what are their chances for getting out? Uh, their chances are about zero. Uh, the, the chaos that you see in, in the Kabul airport, there should, there should be a, a, a safe way for them. Like it's, it's, it's a chaos group. Like they spent 48 hours to get to that gate and they were so close. They were so close. They were about 10 meters away from the gate and they couldn't make it. Do you believe or do they believe that the Taliban, after the Americans leave, will allow there to be an exit for them? Uh, negative. I do not believe there won't be any exit. Talibans are still stopping people. They're beating them. They put checkpoints. They're stopping people from going to the airport. And when people make it somehow, then there is no entrance way so they can make it to do the airport. So people are basically dealing with uh, two different or, uh, or two different governments. Talibans are not letting them in, and so does the the the, the U.S. government. When they get when they make it to those gates, it's almost impossible to to go through. Ishmael, I promised you that we would stay on your story, and that promise is going to be kept until the end. So as you get information, you know how to pass it along. We've been texting all along uh, and I'm here for you. OK, thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate your help. Ishmael Khan, you're the one who's helping. Uh, and thank I know your family appreciates it and many others. Be well, stay safe. We'll be right back. Thank you. CNN will be staying on Afghanistan coverage throughout the night. But there is another story breaking on our watch. The Supreme Court this evening 
just ruled to block the Biden administration's eviction moratorium during this COVID pandemic. The unsigned opinion by the court says if a federally imposed eviction moratorium is to continue, Congress must specifically authorize it. Now, remember, the court already effectively blocked this ban once Biden decided to test it. He lost. This was an extension uh, that we were talking about. Keep in mind, uh, the president admitted this month that most constitutional scholars didn't see him winning, though the liberals on the court dissented and sided with the White House. But this isn't just about the law. It's about the practicalities. Um, The conservative sway on this court is well known. Think about the millions of people in this country who now have to worry about what's next on a night when the entire nation also wonders what's next for our troops overseas. That's the state of play. Thank you for watching. We'll be back live tonight, midnight Eastern, for continuing coverage of the Kabul terror attack. Don Lemon tonight starts right now with its big star, D. Lemon. No way else to put it. Sad day. Awful day. Awful, awful, awful. Yeah, it doesn't get uh, much worse. We haven't seen anything like this in 10 years. And it's a helicopter crash. we have not been told what will make it any safer. How will they do it any better? than what exposed these Marines and others. Uh, and remember also on the Afghan side, who knows how many of these people were allies, but they have their count is 60 dead and over 100 injured. Um, this was really bloody and bad. And the biggest and scariest aspect on is, why is it safer tomorrow? Yeah, well, that's true. Worst case scenario. When I saw it popping up on, on the phone and across the wire, I said, worst case scenario. This is why the president was trying to get everybody out as quickly as possible. But this is the worst thing that could have happened, um, you know, while we were trying to disengage from uh, Afghanistan. But he's got that, as you said. He just lost that court case. He's got COVID he's dealing with. He's got Afghanistan. He's got voting rights and he's got infrastructure. A lot on his plate. That's what it means to be the president of the United States. So I'll take it away, continue with our breaking news, Chris, and we'll see you back here at midnight. Thank you, sir. I'll see you soon. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.